Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Day 3 Podcast, brought to you by Team Collective Effort. My name is Marcos, and I'm here with two of our fine compatriots. I have Brian. Hello. And Dalton. What's up? Will is out for uh, family stuff. And Yay, Mother's Dalton, Day. why don't you tell us... Yeah, Mother's Day is coming up pretty soon. <laughs> Peek behind the curtain as to when we're recording. And uh, Dalton, why don't you tell us about why Patrick isn't here today? Yeah, so as you may have heard, there's this thing going on in Magic called the War of the Spark. And some of us were a little bit smarter than others, and we chose not to planeswalk to Ravnica. Unfortunately, Patrick has fallen prey to that beacon. So at the moment, Patrick is on Ravnica trying to stop the Dread Horde. We'll see what happens. Should things go well, we might see him back a few times. Maybe he'll pop in, let us know how Ad Nauseam's doing, give some insight on some new sets, new cards, new interactions, and mostly just hang out and be a good guy. So that's if he succeeds. If not, well, guess we're down to four. He'll come back covered in Lazutep. Ooh, I think that would be very cool. <clears throat> now, unfortunately, it'd probably be really loud. And, you know, you just hear like a clink, clink, clink from the other end of the podcast. So maybe if that happens, we just uh, hard pass. Did the Eternals speak? Uh, can they? I don't think they can't speak. Do they bother? I mean, if they're dipped in Lazotep, I imagine kind of like a dip or a chocolate dipped strawberry just kind of covers the whole thing, including your mouth. Marcos, you've reached your quota today. You're done. <laughs> We just got started. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like a chocolate dipped, uh, probably like a scorpion, actually. It's probably a little bit crunchy underneath, too. Because, well, maybe it's more like jerky underneath. If I think you jerky really makes the most it. sense. With a, so with anyways, Marcos, coating. what are we talking about today? <laughs> well, our jerky. main topic actually does have to do with War of the Spark. Ooh. And how we evaluate a whole bunch of new cards and changing formats whenever a new set comes out. This is something that everybody has to do, and it can be a little rockier for some, especially when you're first getting into playing competitive magic and you want to be the one to break a format whenever a new format comes around. So we're going to try and talk to you a little bit about some of the methods that we use to try to evaluate new cards and just deal with new cards showing up like War of the Spark, which has decided to just show up and warp every single format out there right now. So let's see what we can do to help. Yeah, definitely. And War of the Spark has some great ones. So at this point already, at the time we're recording, War of the Spark has been out officially for less than, what, two weeks? And we've already see it, seen 13 different War of the Spark cards in 5-0 lists on Modern in Magic Online. Not Standard, Modern. <laughs> Which and is absurd. Is, yeah, 13 unique cards showing up is, it says a lot about the set. I mean, when Aether Revolt came out, people started playing Fatal Push, and people started playing the offset uh, Fastlands. That was Kaladesh. Yeah. Or that was Kaladesh, yeah. So Aether Revolt yeah. comes out, and there's Fatal Push in Modern. And. <laughs> Rallier to. Renegade Rallier? Kind of. There was a, was Madcap Experiment in Aether Revolt. And that's the I think thing. It was Kaladesh. Exactly. Yeah. It's really hard to remember what cards from Aether Revolt made us splash in modern. But here we are with War of the Spark, and we've already seen 13? That's absurd, and says a lot about the potential that this format has, which is why I believe it's a really good time to talk about this. And that's only two weeks in. We've only had these cards for, you know, two weeks. What, you know, who's going to figure out how to break something that... Nobody's even gotten gotten to yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are just from the 5-0 list, like Brian's saying. There's plenty of other cards out there that haven't made 5-0 lists that haven't been published yet that I'm sure are making a big difference. Like those people who do 4-0 drop to hide their deck tech? <laughs> yep. That's, I mean, that's me. That's what I do. Yeah? Yeah. I... No. <laughs> are, are you sure you're not 0-4 drop, Brian? <laughs> I don't go 0-4 drop. I go 0-5. Wait. <laughs> I paid for six rounds. I am going to lose six rounds, dang it. Get your money's worth. Yeah. So with that, Marcos, 
what what do you like to do? So when you hear War of the Spark coming out, you hear there's going to be 36 Planeswalkers in the set. And I know you to be, more or less, a modern player. Not that you don't dabble in Arena or Standard or Limited. Of course, you know, anyone who plays Magic is going to be able to understand those Maybe not master, but understand the formats. But Marcos, as a modern player, you see a new set is coming to standard. What's your what's your process here? So I'll even take it out of just the modern uh, mindset to start because really, actually, I like to focus early on on limited because it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're you know Hall of Famer or just some guys picking up the game and wanting to play a new deck. You cannot immediately understand how every single card actually plays until you actually sit down and play with the cards. So for me, a big aspect of that is playing limited, pre-release weekend, drafting earlier on, playing sealed, getting your hands on as many of these really powerful cards that you start to identify could be really powerful in any format you want to play, and just seeing how it actually plays. A card can say one thing, but if it doesn't play out the way that you expect it to or other circumstances in a format make it not as powerful as you might have thought, well, then that can have a big effect on how you want to move forward with it. So to me, limited is really the best way to just start hashing out just your evaluation on new cards before you even worry about sticking it into a format or an existing deck. You know, for me as an amulet player, I saw Blast Zone and I was like, okay, there's a... (laughs) Very good chance I'm going to want a couple of foil copies of this to put in my amulet deck. But until I actually play with the card and see how slow it actually can be when I need to tick it up, how bad is it that it already comes in with one counter as opposed to zero, how does it compare to actually playing engineered explosives, you just don't know. So I think that's a a very interesting perspective because to certain players, they may never care about what limit it's like. And when they hear wizards say, oh, well, we have to do this for a healthy limited environment, you know, they they roll their eyes and shake their heads and and curse the, the magic gods that they have to care about a limited environment. But I think that's a great, a great thing to think about is how is this going to see play when I first play it? What is this card going to be like when I first get my hands on it? Because that pre-release, you're not playing modern at the pre-release. You're playing limited. Nope. Well, there are also cards that are really not very good in limited that are more geared towards uh, other formats, uh, constructed formats. Uh, Shocklands are probably one of the classic examples here. If that's your rare that you're opening up in a booster pack, <laughs> that's not great. Yeah. Or going back a quite a ways away... It was, uh, was it Eye of Ugin that got printed that reduced colorless or that reduced Eldrazi spells mm-hmm. when there were no Eldrazi in the set? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, in some environments, you get cards that are 100% designed for constructed play. And as much as you might hate that, that's just how those cards have been printed. But now that we're getting, you know, more and more into wizards investing in play design and truly making these environments a healthy place to play we're gonna see a lot more people trying to use those in limited format and you know it's especially true that when you're playing constructed a three mana three two is not your your ideal card but when you're playing limited that three mana three two gets a lot better and that rare that you have that might not be that great in constructed it might do phenomenally for you in that draft or in that sealed pool. For sure. Well, I mean, Sarkon, he's probably okay. The new Sarkon in War of the Spark. Uh, so it's going to be Sarkon the Masterless. Yes, thank you. He's probably fine in Constructed. However, since every war pack has a Planeswalker in it, you're guaranteed six Planeswalkers. If one of them is Sarkon... He cares about other planeswalkers. He's pretty much a planeswalker lord, if you will. And he is awesome in War Limited. And I will absolutely refute, he is awesome in certain constructed decks. I was actually just playing uh, a Jeskai planeswalker list that's been making the rounds recently. And swinging with 
20 power in the air out of nowhere while trying to control the board for about five or six turns is kind of hilarious. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm noticing that even in our own little cast of three today, we've got some disagreement already. And, you know, that's very, very reasonable. We can listen to four or five different podcasts out there. We could listen to uh, Louis Scott Vargas and Marshall Sutcliffe on limited resources. We could listen to a few other folks and they could all rate cards differently. And they might say, oh, well, this one looks like it's going to be gas in limited. This card looks like it's going to be a dud. This card looks like one that's a pitfall. You're, you're going to want it. You might think it looks good, but that card's really not that great. And you'll see that. You'll see that plenty is once you really start playing with those cards, your opinion might change quite a bit. Um, one of the cards I first saw was, uh, it, honestly, during my pre-release, it was uh, Mowu. I saw it and I was like, oh, this is a four mana three three. But my deck, like I'm not putting a whole lot of plus one plus one counters on stuff, so it's not that great. And in a deck where you can't put plus one plus one counters on things, it's not. It's a four no. mana three three trample vigilance, which not horrible, but it's, it's just on a four par. mana three three. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But when you start, you know, getting uh courage in crisis where you can put a plus one plus one counter on it, which for Mowu is two, and then proliferate to put two more. All of a sudden, your 4-mana 3-3 three, three is now a 4-mana 7-7 seven, seven Vigilance Trample. And that does become really good. So it's important to find those right shells for things. Now, I do want to point out something about that, because you bring up a really good point where when you first look at Mowu, you just, all the text that you were just talking about was right there on the card. When you put a counter on it, it gets an extra one. If you're doing any proliferating, this seems solid. All of that was written on the card, but then you sit down and cast it, and then you actually put a counter on it, and then you do proliferating, and then the next turn you're attacking with a 7-7 Vigilance Trample. It doesn't hit you until you actually see it with all those counters and see how it takes over a board state, just how powerful that can be. And that's just a limited interaction. Not even things as ridiculous as something I was doing the other day. I was testing out a Naya Proliferate deck, and I proliferated onto my opponent's saga, their history of Benalia, <laughs> that was on two, Aww. to tick it up to three on their turn and make it useless for them. That's not an interaction you normally see in Limited, but without starting to think how these work out in other situations, then you start to really narrow it in on how can this actually work in a constructed format or just any other type of format that you want to play. Yeah, so... I definitely find myself to be more of a constructed player. So when I see a new set start to get spoiled, when I see those cards go up online, when I see my favorite creators spoil those cards and get to share them with the community, I am looking at how those cards are going to interact in a constructed format. Now, I don't play a lot of standard. Um, personally, I don't enjoy the upkeep, but that's a different topic. What I do enjoy is modern. And so as I'm looking at these cards, I look and I see, okay, well, how will this fit into my modern deck and i will admit i am very self-focused when spoilers are going out and i am looking for cards that go into what i play maybe my commander deck because there's always going to be absurd bombs in edh or in uh limited formats that make your way into edh but but i like looking at my deck and that's honestly one of my strategies brian so what about decks that you like maybe want to consider playing that you would pick up these new cards for or if you got these new cards you might consider trying out a different deck uh for example if i picked up say a, a gideon blackblade in one of my packs mm -hmm. uh would i consider playing a black white super friends deck or gideon tribal or whatever in modern there's definitely thoughts for that and i feel like for myself as a player it's going to probably be the difference between me building a deck that I'm on the fence on and not. So if I am looking at a deck that is that uses white spells, and then all of a sudden I'm like, well, you know, Gideon Blackbillade, that'd probably be a pretty good creature to have or a pretty good Planeswalker to have in here, then maybe, yeah, that might throw me over the fence there. So one of the decks that I've been uh, teetering with back and forth for a little while of 
you know, do I want to invest the time into building this? Is this something that like I really want to do? For me, that deck is uh, the dubious challenge deck, which, yes, dumb and absurd and not necessary, whatever. And as I was looking at new cards coming out recently, I was like, okay, well, you know, obviously you have your big things like your Emmer Cools that you want to hit, maybe Gristlebrand if you're feeling like really generous to your opponent and you want them to draw a bunch of cards for whatever reason. But when I was looking at new cards coming out, one of the ones that made me reconsider that deck was Tristani. And this was the one that came out in Guilds of Ravnica. It was Tristani oh, yeah. Discord. And Tristani has a nice little clause at the bottom that most people forget. That is, at the beginning of your end step, each player gains control of all permanents they own. I mean, it's effectively flavor text. It's effectively flavor text. <laughs> but in a deck Unless. like Dubious Challenge, where you give your opponent an Embercool and then you take the Tristani, at the beginning of your end step, soup, you get the Embercool and you get the Tristani and you get your 1-1s. And now Emrakul also gets plus one, plus one. So you have a 16-16 Emrakul. And that was a card that made me look and consider, well, does this put me over the fence? And in that case, it was a no. Is I determined that the possibility of them getting to the Tristani and then creating themselves two one ones, well, they're still going to keep those one ones. So maybe that Emrakul is not going to have enough, enough room in the Annihilator. And, you know, maybe that's a fair argument, maybe not. For me, I just figure that I'm sure there's going to be something better that comes along. We'll have to see. Brian, what are your thoughts on evaluating new cards? Do you have a, an approach you enjoy taking? So outside of a limited format, I like to look at build-arounds. I think one of the more recent ones would be Simic Ascendancy. Mm, yes. I have not tried to build that deck, but I think... Like, a Bant-style Proliferate deck would work out pretty well. Especially now, with Proliferate being back in Standard. Now, yeah. I think that could actually really take... Oh, that so, even ticks up the counters on the Ascendancy. So I didn't even ascendancy think about that. is the one that reads, whenever you put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control, put a plus one, plus one counter on... Or, put a counter on Simic Ascendancy. Yes. And then if you have 20 or more, you win the game? Yep. Okay. 20 or I'm an ultimate win condition type of person, I guess. And then you I can guess. pay, like, Simic and two to put a counter on something, right? Simic yeah. and one. Simic and one, Ooh. okay. So, yeah, something like that. It might seem like a pipe dream in the previous standard format we have. Because yeah, that was in uh, Ravnica Allegiance. It was in Guild. Yep. Oh, you're right. It was Allegiance, yes. Yeah. And so in Allegiance, it was like, well, what plus one, plus one counter support do we have? We have evolves or we have adapt, adapt stuff but once you adapt a creature you're done you know it's not adapting again unless you get a familiar out but now that we have proliferate in the system oh man you have a yeah. card like that where you know your build around is a card from a previous set that all of a sudden looks a lot better and i could even see you your head started ticking and your brain was working <laughs> trying to really grasp the extent of what you just broke out like it was it was always kind of there in the back of my mind and then i realized hold on you can even proliferate the counter on simic ascendancy itself yeah so if you have two start creatures with plus one plus one counters in a simic ascendancy and you cast a spell that just says proliferate each of those creatures get a counter simic ascendancy gets a counter and then each of those creatures triggers simic ascendancy it's going to get two more counters. Oh, hey, Mowu. Mowu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not even a card from this new set that's making things great. It's a mechanic, which is pretty fascinating. By the way, Mowu, unofficial sponsored dog of the Day 3 podcast. Day 3, and he's a 3-3. Three, three. Marcos, coincidence? I think I not. I think not. <laughs> awesome. Now, Marcos, you mentioned that you enjoy looking at these cards in a limited environment first. Mm -hmm. What's after that? Where do you take those cards? So from there, one big thing that I like to do is really look at the decks that have been out there that have created the metagame up until this point. Uh, because obviously, especially when you're looking at week one, 
a lot of people are going to be bringing the same deck that they had two weeks ago, just with maybe an extra card or two that's slightly better than what they had beforehand. So in this standard format that we're talking about, we had our Esper Control, we had our Mono Red Burn, we had, what else? That was really the big two. Nexus. And Simic Nexus, that's mm -hmm. right. So between those three decks, you can expect that for the beginning, you're going to see a lot of those decks floating around. So trying to get an idea of what new cards are going to slot into those. Tamiyo going into Simic Nexus. Uh, Chandra going into Mono Red. Esper Control getting Little Teferi and Narset. All these things that'll change how those decks play. And then try and figure out, okay, now that you have an idea of what those decks are going to look like, what opportunities do you have now to attack this sort of established metagame? And what kind of decks can you brew with something that's a new powerful interaction that those decks haven't really been tested against yet? I think that's a big aspect of it too. What have those decks been known to be able to take down in previous formats? And what haven't they been tested with that you can now bring a new approach to? No no offense here, of course, but I would definitely consider this the easy incorporation of cards. Is you're oh, taking cards from a newer set and you're saying, what can I do that is already established to make it better? You're trying to see what cards you have in your current deck that maybe aren't performing as optimally as you might, or maybe they're not doing quite as much as you'd want. And you're saying, okay, what can I swap this out for? I mean, sometimes you get things that are strict upgrades too. Exactly. And so if you're able to do that and you can say, oh, well, you know, this card was decent. Like, I appreciated what it did for me, but look at that Tamiyo in this deck. Well, that's an easy, an easy swap is you can say, like, this card is strictly better than that one, which is awesome. And like you mentioned, Marcos, you might be able to say, okay, well, you know, my mono red deck was pretty good. Usually I could get in under that opponent before they could really set up their defenses, but I always struggled with deck, you know, X. Well, what from this new set maybe helps me stay even with the current deck I'm facing, you know, the one that I had a really good matchup with, but what can I do to change that and to help myself to do a little bit better against that other one? And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see just how much one set can shake that all up. Yeah, and I think there's two aspects there, right? So you have the one aspect where you're slotting new cards into the existing decks. But I think the aspect that's more interesting for me, and I think all of us in general, as we like to brew a lot, is finding out more just what is going to be the established picture of the decks that everybody else who's going on easy mode is going to make. You know, you're fitting Chandra into your mono red deck pretty obviously. So now that I know what your mono red deck is going to look like with a Chandra in it, now, what kind of decks can I start building based off of the powerful interactions I see from new cards that might open up with previous cards that weren't really performing well beforehand, and then try to find a new way to attack all these decks that they just weren't really prepared to handle before, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, like, one of those things we saw was uh, you had something like Ritual of Soot that came out in Ravnica, uh, Guilds of Ravnica. And it was a four mana, mm -hmm. black, black, two, destroy all creatures with converted mana cost three or less, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so the majority of the decks that played that were, you know, black, white control decks of some sort. So probably Esper. And then when Ravnica Allegiance came out, they said, well, you know, what do we do in the case of bigger creatures? Like those are the ones that are getting around our sweeper. How can we handle that? When Ravnica Allegiance came out and you got Kaya's Wrath, for them, the fact that it was a black, black, white, white spell hardly made a difference because the deck was already playing white anyways yet strictly it was better because instead of destroying all creatures with converted mana cost three or less it was just all of them and so that helps you hedge out against well what's your biggest threat well your biggest threat had been creatures with cmc4 or greater well hey i got some good news for you now there's a spell that can help you do that and then a fun evolution of that is there is an esper build of a planeswalker deck that i was playing recently uh, it was basically a Esper Planeswalker control deck splashing red for Nicol Bolas that had Bolas's Citadel in it. And oh, so, oh, yeah, this deck was pure jank that was actually shockingly powerful because of just how powerful Bolas's Citadel is, especially when you pair it with things like the uh, 
the beacon card from War of the Spark that gives you a life every time you cast a Planeswalker. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you're able to string through enough Planeswalkers, your Bolas's Citadel uh, spells are basically free. And so you obviously have to put in four of these interplanar beacons in the deck. But that deck now realized, even though it was playing Esper that was loving Kaya's Wrath so much beforehand, it realized black, black, white, white, when you're also playing four lands that just produce colorless unless it's for a Planeswalker, suddenly that does become a lot more realistic of a cost. And now those decks actually switched back to things like Cleansing Nova at one mana higher or Ritual of Soot because they just couldn't reliably hit the white, white, black, black of the Kaya's Wrath. I'd say that's a fair trade-off, though. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think so, too. But we'll see how well the deck actually ends up being. It's somewhat inconsistent right now. But you know, <laughs> those kinds of deck-building restrictions are very important to think about when you're trying to figure out how to evolve a new format's decks around these new cards that you want to implement. Of course. And so I feel like that also brings us to the question of, well, what do I do if all I want to play are the new cards? is how do I most effectively take cards from the newest set and make a deck out of those? Is if I find something in this new set that I really want to fixate on, and maybe that something is, you know, Bolas' Citadel, how can I make my deck most tuned for Bolas' Citadel? You're talking basically like, and against the odds. That's, that's basically what you're saying. Kind of, but... It's more so what possibilities are these new cards bringing that can almost make a deck all of their own. So an example of that that one of my friends is messing with is the uh, Teferi Possibility Storm deck. Is mm -hmm. you know Previously we'd had that with Teferi Mage of Zalfir, but that was a blue, blue, blue spell, which is quite a bit. Now the new Teferi is blue and white, but he was already planning on using those colors anyway, so the idea of the mana is significantly less restrictive. His Teferi is also a 3-mana spell, as opposed to the 5-mana previous Teferi. So you're looking at all these differences between the deck, or between the cards that you could be using and the cards that you can now use, and you get to evaluate, is this going to be a deck worth playing? Is this something that can stand all on its own? Am I going to be able to make this work? Well, it's probably a lot easier to do when you're just looking at standard, too, because each set has a much larger impact on the metagame and the card pool as a whole, even though this is the, what, the seventh set now that is in Standard? It's the uh, seventh set in Standard. But which the... usually doesn't make that much of an impact, but it it, yeah. it seems that War really has. Yeah, it's it, I mean, to be fair, when you look at it, if you think of that, War is one-seventh of the sets in Standard, right? Approximately. Right, yeah. So that means, theoretically, and obviously... You know, this is very easily simplifying it. Theoretically, you would imagine that one in seven cards you see would be a war card. Right. Like Although I mentioned. I, I think counting lands is probably cheating. Because <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Now, when you take something like modern and add war in, war is one of how many sets that are in Magic the Gathering that are just legal and modern? Boy. You're going to see that those cards are significantly easier to, easier to build around in standard because they're a bigger portion of it. And oh. they're designed to be together. There's 40-some-odd sets in Modern? Is that about right? More than that? There's quite a lot. All right, and we are back. So, Marcos, we've talked a little bit about how to add cards into a deck you've already built, how to assess cards in the limited environment versus the constructed environment, so I got a question for you, Marcos. I'm ready to make a build around. And as I was playing my War of the Spark Limited, I had a lot of fun with the amass mechanic. And I am looking to take a mass and I'm looking to take it to the top of the charts and go number one with a mass. Oh, you poor soul. <laughs> <laughs> it's an uphill battle. You're not wrong. <laughs> but something like that could happen all the time. Is a new set comes out, and you see some mechanic, or you see some card, or you see some combo that you think is hilarious. And you're really excited to build it. So how do we take something like that and optimally build it? So with the, that example of a mass, 
Should I just take all of the cards that say amass and try to put them into one deck? How do I determine what is best going to help me build that? So back in Shadows Over Innistrad Standard, there was this card called Fevered Visions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Fevered Visions is an enchantment that costs one blue-red. At the end of each player's end step, that player draws a card. If that player is your opponent and they have more than four or more cards in hand, they take two damage. I looked at that and said, you know what? Between that... And Thing in the Ice, I think we've got a deck here. <laughs> that deck played four Fevered Visions, four Thing in the Ice, and 30 Disperse-style effects. <laughs> Just to keep every single play that opponent would make back into their hand. Disperse wasn't even in like a main run standard set. It was in a welcome deck. <laughs> which made it technically standard legal, uh, but it wasn't actually in any... It wasn't printed in Shadows of Innistrad or anything like that, but I was playing Disperse. Gross. Nice. So yeah, you took something from a new deck and you tried to figure out how you could optimize that. And I gotta wonder, is is that a good idea? Is it worth it? Did you have any exper- any luck? It did okay. I had a heck of a lot of fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the important takeaway from that is you saw an interaction. You saw Fevered Visions and you saw Thing in the Ice. And you said these two go together probably better than peanut butter and chocolate. This is going to be sweet. So how else do I build around that? And I think something fascinating about the Fevered Visions Thing in the Ice is those two cards, if I looked at those, I would say this is not a deck. (laughs) (laughs) That's where you're wrong. And the idea is that you're supposed to, you know, get cards into your opponent's hand. I guess, yeah, Thing in the Ice can bounce stuff, which is, I'm sure, what you were looking to do, is bounce things back to their hands with the Thing in the Ice. I want a game day with that deck. (laughs) (laughs) I, I remember that now. I want a game day with that deck. It was... Granted, that was on the back of Wandering Fumeral Beats. Ooh, yes. Mm. But it's fascinating to me that you saw those two cards and that's what you decided to do is i like it and i have to give you mad props for it but i would have definitely missed that idea that that train would have come and gone and would have been like (laughs) oh cool bye train but you know you hopped aboard you kicked the conductor out you're like this is mine now and i think that's really cool so you took fevered visions so about that card, you looked and you said, okay, I want to make sure my opponent has cards in hand. Yep. And then you just looked for everything that could do that? Yeah, there was a surprisingly large amount in Shadows and then Eldritch Moon uh, introduced Unsubstantiate, which mm. I used, like, Remand mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, that was really nasty. Like, no, I'm going to Unsubstantiate that on the stack. What? <laughs> Gosh, I... Honestly, probably the most fun I've ever had, and actually the only standard environment I've ever actually played outside of Arena, was also the Shadows Over Innistrad cards that... Ugh. Asylum Visitor, Lupine Prototype, and then by the time I started playing, Hour of Devastation was in it with two. Oh. It's using Blood Rage Brawler and Hazaret. It was 100% Rakdos Hellbent, but like six years too late. Heckbent. Heckbent. Yes. Okay, so then how would you translate those ideas uh, that you used so effectively in Shadows Over Innistrad and Eldritch Moon to something like the new Amass cards? Because I know when I saw Dreadhorde Invasion, I got really excited really quickly and then got really disappointed really quickly once I started playing it. So what so, do you guys think? I think the important part is to find something that you really enjoy. So for Brian, that was the Fevered Visions. That was the card he saw, and he was like, I want to play this, and did what he could to make that happen. That's actually what started my love affair with Thing in the Ice. (laughs) (laughs) For me, when I went into my Rakdos Hellbent, the card that I saw that I really liked was Blood Rage Brawler, which is a Mm. two-mana 4-3 when it enters the battlefield, discard a card. So I was like, okay, that's cool. A two-mana 4-3 is good stats. Even on three... A turn three, four, three is not bad. 
And then when I discard a card, I could Fiery Temper, or I could Alms of the Vein, and mm. I could get value out of that, you know, downside. And that was something I really liked about the deck, was it was taking these effects that caused you to discard and turning them into something good. So it was a, it was a card that I fixated on, and I really wanted to make work. So when you take that to a newer set, it's important to find that card that you really want to make work. So maybe in your mass deck, it's not, you know, Lazatep coding where you gain Hexproof and make a 1-1. That's not the card that you're playing the deck for. What you're playing the deck for is Enter the God Eternals. Or you're mm -hmm. playing that deck for the Gleaming Overseer to give it Hexproof and Menace. So once you fixate on that card, then you can really start dedicating yourself to making that deck happen. I mean, there's a lot of people who I assume enjoy bitter blossom and dreadhorde invasion does a weird imitation of bitter blossom definitely or marcos and i were just talking about how one of the cards that we really enjoyed in its time was battlewise hoplite and now yeah. in standard we have 10th district legionnaire which is almost the same thing except red white instead of blue white and so, yeah, you might see a card that you really enjoyed in another set or you really enjoyed in another format, and now it's, you know, quote-unquote, back again. And so you might see that card and say, okay, well, I had a lot of fun with that. I'm going to make this one work. And, Marcos, I know that you have some experience that with the 10th District Legionnaire. You took that and you built a deck out of it, and we saw it do pretty well at the uh, SCG Open that was this last weekend. Definitely. Um, now, I, I won't take credit for that entire deck because that deck that I started brewing with Feather and 10th District Legionnaire was not near how good that other Feather deck was, the <laughs> one that did well at SCG. Uh, but recognizing that 10th District Legionnaire was basically one of my favorite decks of all time, Battlewise Hoplite and the Jeskai or Bant Heroic decks from back in Theros Block era, uh, really made me want to try playing with that again and i just fell right back into the habits of casting the one drop instant tricks and just blowing out opponents out of nowhere with 16 damage that they didn't see coming so that kind of stuff i love uh and that's actually another really important aspect to trying to figure out how to take these cards and really evaluate them in new contexts battlewise hoplite in war of the spark standard is a completely different build even though the card works exactly the same same thing with Dreadhorde Invasion we were just talking about in Bitter Blossom. Dreadhorde Invasion does a Bitter Blossom impersonation, but very poorly, if I might say so. Just doesn't get there as often as you want it to, and it's just super easy to just throw off your whole game plan with it. But you have that frame of reference that you can now take into a new deck and start figuring out things within a new context of what are the other cards in this format doing with it. Yeah, and it gives you that sense of familiarity of okay i know that battlewise hoplite was good in a more aggressive style deck that was able to leverage combat tricks to not only give yourself card advantage through the scry mechanic but to also buff your creature so you know that that was the type of build that battlewise hoplite is in when you move to this standard format with 10th district legionnaire you can say okay that was the good format then is it still the type of deck that this card wants to play and with, with 10th District Legionnaire, the answer is, duh, it's designed to be an aggressive <laughs> card. Oh, but, yeah. you know, you can see other cards that come back and, you know, maybe they end up in a different place. So I think a really good example of that would be Opt. Opt was a card oh, yeah. that had not been in Modern until Ixalan, which seems kind of crazy, but that was the time that it decided to come back. And previously, Opt you know, might not have been in the same types of decks that Opt was in in the new standard environment. Opt got in and was immediately like, hey, what up? I'm here. But it didn't really find its place until something like Is It Phoenix or the Control decks came out that were looking for either that really intense ability to cycle cards through or the ability to draw cards when you needed them after holding up counterspells and control. Did it have those same effects in its previous iterations? Maybe, but it didn't have something like Phoenix to pay off. So it found its home in different styles of decks too. And the context there matters because beforehand when Opt first came out 
and was introduced into modern there was so many discussions about whether opt or serum visions was better some people were just outright saying like well there's no real difference and serum visions is a little better whatever it might be but then it wasn't until you figured out the context where it really came into play that yeah opt makes a lot more sense because i can terminus on my opponent's turn after brainstorming with jace and the context of which you're playing those cards matters a lot more you know, right now, that Boros Feather aggressive deck can be well positioned, but it's also a completely different format because suddenly you have decks that are putting four or five Planeswalkers out at a time. You can't just necessarily kill your opponent that quickly when you also have multiple Planeswalkers to deal with. Your, your cards just are not going to be able to hold up the same way they used to when you could just team or battle rage, kill them in one shot back in Khan's block. So, Marcos, if you didn't want to, say, brew your own deck around 10th District Legionnaire or Feather or whatever card you like, uh, what about net decking, which some people like to think is a four-letter word around the Magic community? <laughs> I mean, I think net decking is great because there's a lot of work that goes into making a good deck and finding a resource to help you get 50 60 70 percent of the way there towards a deck that you're going to have a lot of fun playing and do really well with i see no reason why you should pass that opportunity up so there's a couple different places where you can find different decks out there uh big one is mtg goldfish for sure so yeah if you have an idea for a deck it really does make a lot of sense just to go out there and see if somebody else has done at least some of the groundwork for you. You know, go on to MTG Goldfish or look at some top eights. Maybe you just get an idea of a package of some cool interactions that you might want to put in your deck. Uh, look at the, the new RAL Planeswalker and Expansion Explosion combo. That's an eight card combo that you can just in a blue-red deck if you're doing blue-red things. Another big one is Arena Deck Lists on Twitter. Uh, the guys who host the game podcast, formerly known as the Game Podcast, now they're just the Arena Deck List podcast. Uh, they get a lot of crowdsourcing of people who are doing well with different lists. Uh, specifically, if you're really into Arena, there's a lot of people who post 60-card Arena standard deck lists on there that have deck lists for a different metagame that you might not be able to find in bigger tournament results like you find on MTG Goldfish. So possibly one of the most important things that you need to recognize when testing out something new, and especially in a new environment. So something that you may have had a lot of fun with or may have had caused some fun interactions that you thought were great or you know even just you had fun brewing it and now you just play it because you feel like you have to uh it's okay to jump ship uh so for a while i was having a lot of fun with a red white auras deck and so i was running things like adanto vanguard or swift blade vindicator novice knight and danitha compassion and just putting as many red-white auras as I could on these creatures. So turn two, if I have a Swift Blade Vindicator, which is a two-mana, one-one, uh, Vigilance, Trample, and Double Strike. Uh, turn two, if I can put on a plus-one-plus-one aura and a plus-two-plus-two aura, all of a sudden I'm swinging a four-four Double Strike Trample Vigilance creature, which was a lot of fun, and I had a really good time playing it. And then the meta shifted, and more sets kept getting added to the format. Uh, I believe I first started really working with this after M19 came out, but then Guild came out, and then Ravnica Allegiance. And this deck went from winning me probably 8 out of 10 in best of 1 to maybe 1 out of 10 if my opponent mulled to 5. <laughs> and so, like, quite realistically... As much fun as I had playing that deck, and as frustrated as I made Marcos trying to play that deck and emulate my my luck and skill, it was very obvious to me that I was to jump ship. And so something like that, you know, I enjoyed the playstyle of the red-white pants deck, uh, as I've taken to calling it. You know, maybe now my calling is this red-white feather or red-white 10th District Legionnaire deck. And so maybe I can look and say, okay, that deck is doing a thing I liked, but I think it's doing it better. Let me give that a shot. And not being afraid to say, 
I tried my thing and it did not work. And then progressing forward from there, maybe figure out why it didn't work. What was, what changed for me? It became a lot more sweepers. There were significantly more board wipe effects or removal spells in this standard environment as guilds or M19 with M19. There was cleansing Nova was really the big one. Mm -hmm. And usually I could probably win by turn five when they got that cleansing Nova out, which, you know, whether I did or didn't, it didn't matter because my opponent was seated by that point. Exactly. I, I could scrape and claw my way with some burn spells for reach. But then we started getting Ritual of Soot and Kaya's Wrath. And all of a sudden, that deck just went out the window. Mortify came into play. And mm-hmm. I could no longer make that deck work or function. I said, you know what? Red, white pants, you were fun. It is time to put you to bed. And so once you try something new, have fun with it, but don't get too frustrated. You're not locked in. So I think really what you're low-key telling me is that I shouldn't give up on Delver, (laughs) (laughs) but I should probably play Phoenix if I want to play an Izzet deck in Modern. An Izzet deck with a 3-2 flyer? Oh, wow. That just hit me. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Is this your first realization that Arclight Phoenix is just a better 3-2 flyer than a Delver? Maybe. <laughs> it's okay, because I was today years old when I realized that myself. Did you realize Bone Picker was a better Delver? I don't think that's true. One mana 3-2 flyer? With Death Touch? But you don't get to play... It's not an Izzet deck. <laughs> no, but no, with Morbid. It's a deck. With Morbid... But it's a better Delver. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to be able to trigger Morbid, though. So? <laughs> better Delver. So so basically what you're saying is we got to brew this uh, mono-black Turn Morbid Turn one, death? Swamp. Ugin's Conjurant for zero. Dies. Bone Picker. Oh, Go. Cabal Therapist. Or Endless One. When cabal it gets Therapist. In, when it gets into Modern Horizon, you have to sack the Cabal Therapist. Well, yes, but... I'm saying turn one, endless one for zero, bone picker, go. But then how are you going to tragic slip somebody? (laughs) (laughs) But my bone picker doesn't get fatal pushed as easily. I have had an awoken horror tragic slipped. So, about this episode. Oh my goodness. So, this is a good insight into the kind of ridiculousness that happens in our group chats on Facebook. Yes. Marcos, I believe we should move forward. All right, so is there anything else that we want to cover on our main topic of just how to evaluate new cards, how to try out new decks, how to deal with when new sets are being introduced into the format? So just a few takeaways from this is always try the deck. Give it a shot. With something like a mass, you might be surprised that, you know, you might look at the cards and say, well, yeah, it's fun. Sure, it's okay and limited, but it's never going to work in constructed. You know, there are one one counter synergies and standard it might surprise you exactly it, it's definitely worth the shot and so if you have the chance i know that rumor has it standard's pretty cheap on mtgo right now and i'm sure that if you're trying to build a mass decks that will be exceptionally cheap on magic <laughs> online if you have arena arena is more or less free to play you're definitely welcome to toss your dollar dues that way if you're trying to get your wild cards a bit quicker. But if you're mostly looking to to mess around and maybe try something out, definitely go for it. Maybe try drafting some more of the spark and get those cards that you're looking for. Might be a cheaper way for you to get those cards for the deck that you need than trying to build them or craft them on wild cards. Worst comes to worst, proxy the deck up. Write out the cards on some paper, give it a shot, maybe bring it to some of your friends who play the format and say, hey, you know, I have this proxy deck. I'm looking to see if I want to build it. Will you play with me? If they're your friend, I guarantee that they will be comfortable (laughs) with you using paper proxies to figure out if you want to buy a deck. And last but not least, watch people. There are plenty of amazing content creators out there. There's Team Collective Effort. There's MTG Goldfish. There's all sorts of fantastic people out there. And chances are, if you've had a thought for a deck, they may have had something at least pretty similar to what you're going for, that you are more than welcome to hop on YouTube and watch those and see, okay, 
you know, I really liked the idea of that black green citadel, but I'm not sure if I'm really ready to go there. Hop on YouTube, look up black green citadel and see how those people play. If you like that gameplay style and you think you're ready to hand handle all of the crazy interactions that deck brings, go for it. Definitely try that out. Like I mentioned, chances are someone has done the thing that you are looking at doing. Now, magic, as we know, is all about probability and variance and all the crazy things that come with it. And Brian, what if in this crazy world of variance, someone has not come up with your fevered visions, bounce fog, bounce house deck? What do we do? So that you have a couple options available to you. Number one would be you just go create the content yourself. You do all the legwork. Uh, it kind of sounds like a lot of effort, but, you know, it can be fun and rewarding. On the other hand, hey, send us a deck list. We'd probably be willing to try out anything from what you think is going to be the next tier zero deck down to horrible eight color memes. <laughs> I'm all about the eight color memes. If you tell me purple is not a magic color, I will tell you you are wrong. <laughs> okay, for today's weekly segment of the week. Trademark. Thank you. Uh, we have a Modern Horizons weekly segment of the week. Dalton, what do you got for us? Yeah, so there are quite a few cards present in Modern Horizons. Most of them new, but all of them new to Modern. So instead of talking about each and every one of them individually, we are going to go ahead and talk about two of the cards that stick out to us the most and one card that we are sad does not. So Marcos, if you would like to share with us the card that you are most excited to put in Amulet Titan, the card that you are most excited for in Modern or Legacy, and then the card that you did not see reprinted that you are the most saddened by. Okay. So the card that I'm most excited for, for my Amulet Titan deck, is going to be a pretty obvious choice. It is Force of Vigor. Two green green for an instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a green card from your hand instead of paying this card's mana cost. And destroy up to two target artifacts and or enchantments i love this get out of here blood moon i don't need green mana to get rid of you anymore for amulet titan <laughs> Bye bye so super hyped for that uh for the card that i find most exciting overall i actually am going to go more towards for commander because a lot of people have been talking about how this is commander masters basically but i'm really excited for Morophon the Boundless. Hmm. Uh, this is the seven mana legendary creature shapeshifter that has changeling, so it's all creature types at all times. Uh, as it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, and then spells of the chosen creature type cost Wooberg less to cast. Uh, I just love the design of this card that Wizards and Mark Rosewater have been getting so many requests for, I want a legendary spider. I want a legendary uh, crab. I don't know. Whatever tribal commander you want, you now have something that you can put in their place that's going to help your deck in a tribal feel, as opposed to just be like, oh, this happens to be a legendary thing, but doesn't do anything for my deck. So I'm really right. excited for that. So congratulations. You got crabs now, Marcos. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> and so what card are you most saddened that you did not see make it into Modern Horizons? Uh, that's going to have to be Exploration. Uh, I did see there was a CFB video that went up where they tested Exploration as a part of Amulet, and it looked super busted. I don't think it should have been reprinted, but uh, when I was more thinking that this was going to be a set more full of reprints than it was, I really was hoping that they would have given Exploration a shot. Sure. So, Brian, do you have your three ready? I think I do. I'm going to do a cop-out with the... <laughs> card that i'm most excited about and that's just going to be the horizon land the mm. what's the blue red one called there wasn't a whole lot of toys for a blue red tempo deck force of negation maybe i think you're thinking fiery islet that's Islet. the one islet 
I'm going to say Islet. But it's a Horizon Land, which is a reference to Horizon Canopy. It'll add blue or red to your mana pool and deal a damage to you. Or you can pay one, tap and sack Fiery Islet, and you can draw a card. So my deck, sometimes, even though it has 18 lands, sometimes I will flood out. And the ability to cycle would be really helpful but currently, the only land that cycles like that is Horizon Canopy, which is green and white. And it doesn't really help that much if you're not playing green or white. So all these enemy-colored Horizon lands, I think, are a boon to the format in general. But the blue-red one, my Delver of Miracles, specifically. Sure. Nice. And then, what card are you most excited for in modern in commander in legacy in general i think one of the most fun cards they printed was ayula's influence which is an enchantment that cost green 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 you could discard a land card to create a 2-2 bear token it is basically the green version of seismic assault mm-hmm. and i think it's i don't know if it's going to be competitive but i think just kind of throwing lands either at your opponent or throwing lands into your graveyard and creating a bear sounds like a fun time and you get them all back with life from a loam and you can just do it all again yeah bear swarm it it definitely sounds like a lot of fun though i think i already know the answer to the question is it competitive no i don't think so (laughs) all right and i think i can guess what card you're most you're most upset didn't make it into the set why don't you confirm my suspicions so my number one was going to be Counterspell, but that's way too easy. Everybody thought Counterspell was going to be in there, and then everybody's let down that Counterspell wasn't in there. So I'm going to go with a little bit of a deeper pick here and say Price of Progress, which, Ooh, which punishes the the really greedy modern mana base. And I mean, I don't know that it would really affect people's or players' land choices, until it does at which point (laughs) at which point demand for these lands potentially goes down making the format more accessible without incorporating additional supply i hadn't thought about the financial aspects of it but you're not wrong i mean i'm just mad at you for trying to play price of progress when i'm trying to play amulet (laughs) but i mean hey that's the price of progress Hey, if I if I play Blood Moon first, no one's no one's getting pinged by uh, Price of Progress. Uh, price of Progress, Blood Moon doesn't make them basic, so you still get priced. Oh wow! Yeah, really? you still yeah, you still get wrecked. Oh my god, that is fantastic. <laughs> That's just yeah, double savage. Price of Progress would definitely make it into like your Scred Red free Windex. Um, oh man, I did not awesome. know that interaction. That is fantastic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. maybe now I kind of see why because they. I, I think Wizards doesn't like the non-games that cards like Blood Moon create. Yeah, but Neoform's fine. Right, that doesn't create any non-games. <laughs> no, clearly. You're swinging with creatures, and that's acceptable. <laughs> Eventually you're swinging with creatures, maybe. <laughs> Alright, so I'll take us home. The card that I am most excited for in my deck might seem like an odd choice, but I am very excited for Renan 6. So Renin really? 6 is, yeah, the green-red planeswalker. It's two mana, a green and a red. It starts at three loyalty. It's plus one is return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand. It's minus one is it deals one damage to any target. And it's minus seven is you get an emblem with instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard have retrace. So as a Naya Blitz aggro player, my goals are to go fast. Uh, fetch lands to maybe hopefully find some mana early on and then try to beat down my opponent before they can mount any sort of defense. The biggest problem is when they start mounting a defense. (laughs) So I feel like Renin 6 is going to have that ability to help me keep hitting my land drops after turns 4 and 5, or including turns 4 and 5, because I don't run that many in in the deck because I really don't need that many. But as the games draw out, it becomes more of an issue. And then should I ever get to Emblem, that means every land in my graveyard becomes 
a, or sorry, every land that I draw becomes a lightning bolt, becomes a Boros charm, becomes an Atarka's command. Something I can do mm. to keep that game moving forward after the board begins to stall. So mostly it's going to be against control when, you know, my creatures get terminus and put on the bottom of my library, and then control has to just hope to find an answer to Ren and Six. Chances are probably Teferi's going to be the answer, but ideally by that point, my walker that's out on turn two is able to help me get past your walker that's out on turn five. So that's the card I'm most excited for in my deck. The card that I'm most excited for in the format... Well, the child in me wants to say Altar of Dementia because <laughs> milling should be a legitimate win con. But the adult in me says Nimble Mongoose. Um, really? Nimble Mongoose has been one of those cards that people have speculated about for modern for so long that I'm glad it is finally in there. So Nimble Mongoose, a one mana one one shroud that gets plus two plus two as long as there are seven more cards in your graveyard. Modern has become pretty graveyard heavy. We're seeing a lot of dredge, a lot of instants and sorceries shuffling through, and Nibble Mongoose seems like a very solid threat in these decks to have that you can get out early and start working with. So if I Nibble Mongoose on one in dredge, not that there's not better things to do, but if I Nibble Mongoose on one... And then turn two, I Cathartic Reunion and dredge a few things. I already have a 3-3 Shroud that's swinging in. And that's pretty decent. But it can definitely help provide some untargetable help in later games. I don't think it's going to find a home in my deck, but only time will tell. It seems kind of like a non-bow with Renin 6. Oh, definitely. So, and then the card that I'm most upset that we're not seeing in this set is definitely Containment Priest. Is yeah. Containment Priest shuts down Dredge, shuts down Phoenix, shuts down your Through the Breach Neoform decks, and helps to provide some sort of advantage against these decks that are doing quote-unquote unfair things. So I really had hoped that that would help come in to corral the format a little bit. So I'm hoping that Modern Horizons 2 will fulfill <laughs> that hope for me. But until then, I will be happy with Ren and his tree buddy. On the other hand, they could print something like can the priest's container as an enchantment or something in Corset 2020. They definitely could. They, and... they put random hate cards targeted at modern in corset 19 uh look at avarice amulet amulet of safekeeping that's the one it is in my sideboard (laughs) it it needs to go out it was a lot better when mardu pyromancer was big as someone who plays four pyromancers main deck please take it out yeah (laughs) (laughs) so and and you're right is it may not be containment priest that we're getting but they put in essentially Mother of Runes in Giver of Runes. We got a near reprint of Stony Silence on the green Aoife. And so I definitely have hopes that maybe, you know, there will be a containment priest that's a two mana, one, three flash. If a creature would enter the same turn or when this creature enters the battlefield, any creature that enters the battlefield from this point, if it wasn't cast, exile it. I could see a solid one turn effect on it. Do you think that Containment Priest is actually okay to print into Standard? Like, could they just reprint it into Corset 2020? Easy. Yeah, it wouldn't see the play The only in thing that it messes with is Neoform. It messes with Neoform, it messes oh. with Command Dreadhorde, it messes with Sorin. Eh. Phoenix Reasonable. is seeing a very little bit of play in Standard. It would not see play in Standard. Ilharg? Ilharg? Uh, Actually, as a safety valve for Ilharg, maybe so. Safety valve so we're looking for at like Ilharg. four cards that may see play that it, it messes with. I think that's fair. If they wanted to stop the four color command, the Dreadhorde shenanigans, I think they could reprint Containment Priest into standard. Also, four color command, the Dreadhorde shenanigans will probably rotate out as soon as the mana base does. 
Also, yes. Modern Horizons. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, unless anybody else has anything. Oh, okay. All right, so to let you know where you can reach out to us, uh, we would love to see any deck lists or hear any feedback that you have about the show or anything that you'd like to hear from us. Uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime. You can email us at teamcollectiveeffort at gmail.com. And on all of our social media, you can find us at mtgteamce. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitch and on Twitter and on Instagram, and check out the Day 3 podcast on anchor.fm where we're going to be hosting all of our episodes from here on out. Again, all at MTG Team CE. Also, you can follow us on YouTube at Collective Effort MTG. Make sure to subscribe so that we can make that at MTG Team CE too. With that, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Our real Um, joke is going to be about people who can't afford our jokes. (laughs) (laughs) You plebeians don't get this. That was just me being dumb.